there's absolutely no way in a million years I would be on telly if I hadn't have done that apprenticeship at Black & Decker. No way. When I first started and I told a lot of my friends that I'm going to do a plumbing apprenticeship, it was sort of the case of why would you want to do that? You're just going to be unblocking toilets and that kind of thing. I think the, the idea of it is wrong. I think people don't actually know what it is. What I can, I think, say safely for someone who's done an apprenticeship in the British Army is that they also get those life skills. We need skills and learning for everybody. And if you just look at those school leavers and say, not everybody wants to go to university, uh, so we should have more apprenticeships. Actually, at school, engineering was just as much for girls as it was for boys. I think I learned so much more at work than I do at university. Um, so I'm in my third year of my degree, and I can honestly say that you will never match the kind of learning on the job aspect. Welcome to All About Apprenticeships, brought to you by the HomeServe Foundation. I'm Georgie Frost, and coming up, as a major UN scientific report says climate change is a code red for humanity, we take a look at the Prime Minister's plans for his green industrial revolution and what it means for apprenticeships. We're being promised electric vehicle technicians in the Midlands, construction and installation workers in the northeast and Wales, agroforestry practitioners in Scotland, specialists in advanced fuels in the northwest, and grid system installers all over the UK. The government says its green agenda and target of net zero by 2050 is at the heart of everything it does. It sounds grand, it sounds ambitious, and it sounds like, in theory at least, there should be plenty of opportunities for apprentices. But will there be? We'll get the thoughts of Phil Beach, CBE. In his role at Ofqual, Phil led the reforms of the technical qualifications as well as the COVID-19 response across vocational qualifications. He's now CEO of Energy and Utility Skills, which supports UK industry to retain and develop a skilled workforce. And also joining us today is Liz Slee, Director of Research at the Enterprise Trust. That's a charity that helps people of all ages to reach their potential. Welcome to you both. Uh, Phil, first, tell us a bit more, if you would, about the government's green agenda and the net zero targets. We've had a lot of sound bites, we hear a lot of promises, but let's dig a little deeper, shall we? Sure. And I think it's probably important to reflect that from my perspective as Chief Executive of Energy and Utility Skills, uh, I work in a sector that underwrites much of the government's ambitions. If we think of the green industrial revolution as described by government, uh, it has a 10-point plan to deliver on its, what I would say, bold ambitions for a, a, a net zero uh, economy by 2050. Uh, and the industries within the sector I represent uh, are effectively the power, gas, water, waste and recycling and supply chains associated with those. And if you look through the government's 10-point plan for a green industrial revolution, many of those, uh, as I say, are very much delivered by, uh, at least in part or in full, organisations that I represent. So it is a really bold ambition and it seeks to drive down uh, carbon uh, to a net zero position by 2050. And I think it will require a lot of work from not just industry, but everyone involved uh, in, in all walks of life to deliver that ambition. What does the government actually promise to do to meet these targets? And are they realistic? Well, I think if one looks at the the ambitions, I mean, just drilling into a couple of the uh, 10-point plan items, I think there are some really obvious and really clear pointers to deliverable outcomes. I think if we look at advancing offshore wind, we've seen a, a huge increase uh, in offshore wind advancements. Uh, and I think if we think about um, greener buildings, lots of technology in there. 
But what I would say is that it's quite easy to understand some of the concrete propositions about building new wind turbines and indeed things like changing infrastructure. I think some of the challenges, though, are kind of quite hard to to put your finger on. I think those are much more about behaviour. So I think it's all very well for us to think about everyone driving an electric vehicle in the future. Uh, it's another to think about how we actually incentivize that in a sensible way to deliver that, as well as, of course, uh, delivering the infrastructure that would allow the whole of the country to recharge their cars and have the grid to support that system. So I think the interesting aspect of the challenge is not necessarily the infrastructure challenge, although, of course, that is significant and will require a huge amount of investment. I think the challenge around changes of behaviour will be probably equally important. It's hard to drill this down, uh, Phil, but we've spoken a lot in the press, particularly at the moment, about green buildings, how expensive it it is, and, you know, will the government be able to achieve those sorts of targets? You know, ambition is clearly there. You can't fault the fact that, you know, as I mentioned at the start there, that this this is needed. However, I just want to know about the practicalities, whether you fundamentally believe that this is going to be possible and what will need to be done to create the best environment, to to change behaviour, to get us to a point where this is achievable and it doesn't fall on the cost of homeowners, for example, or those who drive cars. Well, I think you're right. Trying to sort of drill into the sort of concrete detail of this is important. And, And I think from my perspective, my, my purview is very much around the skills needed to deliver net zero because, of course, it's all very well to have the technology to deliver net zero in principle. But in practice, you need to have the, tech, uh, the skills associated with that to actually fit ground source heat pumps or boilers and the like. So the technology exists in many places already. Uh, and, of course, as we've already discussed, it would require to an extent, a behavioural change to make sure that the country moves along this new pathway. But from my perspective, being quite parochial about it, I'm much more immediately interested in the degree to which we actually have the skills at hand to deploy these technologies as they roll out. And of course, the ambitions of government in terms of the timelines are such that we need to really get moving on that because you know time is against us. Well, we have just under 30 years, don't we, to, to build some skills, I guess. Liz, what do you think? What part can apprenticeships play in meeting that target, this pledge to be net zero by 2050? Let's focus on on some of these skills that we can produce. From our perspective, um, apprenticeships are going to play an enormous role in that. I mean, and, and as you're you're quite right, you know, we, we need to kind of, you know, get going on that um, straight away. I mean, for example, part of the Prime Minister's um, 10 point plan was to see 600,000 heat pumps um, installed every year by 2028. Uh, he's quite recently sort of rolled back a little bit on that. But the fact is, um, sort of, you know, the inherent with the whole kind of concept of, of, of apprenticeships is the fact that they they take quite a long time. Um, and, um, you know, we, we've historically in this in this country um, sort of failed to to invest in in the skills properly, probably over the last 10 years or more. Um, and certainly in some of the, the areas where we've been looking into in, in research, which kind of is, is uh, you know, around the kind of trades and construction um, area. If we're going to start to make some impact, we're going to have to start to 
really ramp up and change almost the sort of the way that the you know people think about apprentices not let alone climate change um and you know get more people kind of recruited and trained before you know some of those skills one of the one of the things that we piece of research that we did uh, recently called the domestic um skills index found that um like something like 20% of um you know kind of people working in trades at the moment are likely to retire by 2030 so we've almost got to get them to start training the next generation right now and you know apprenticeships um take take time and mm. we need to start to sort of build that you know that bank of people who can do this work otherwise you know we're, we're not going to be able to hit those targets it's it's a tough ask isn't it liz i mean how do you do that because you're not just talking there about practicalities funding cuts financials all those sorts of things you're also talking about behavior i mean we, yes. we saw the the front covers of the newspapers talking about too many teenagers going to university do we need perhaps more calls for this this sort of thing that the apprentices are a great alternative a first choice absolutely and um you know that there was a piece of research by the social market foundation um which found that 48 percent of parents think that um you know going to university isn't going to give you a job um, at the end of the day and they would prefer their their children to go and learn um a trade um and you know that's you know I guess the t- the tide is turning slightly because of things like university fees and you know everything else that goes along with you know it's not necessarily for everybody um but that 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 takes time as you say you know that that takes a little bit of time to to sort of um hammer home but you know this week you know we've we've called for um you know people who are getting their exam results um this week which is when we were recording this um you know to um you know think about becoming an apprentice rather than going you know and doing something else and actually some people who are picking up their exam results this week have already picked up you know um apprenticeship so you know it is is it's time that we we started to sort of get that message home phil what's your take on this the skills shortage we've spoken about it numerous times uh, on this podcast it's across many sectors how these are going to impact the targets that have been set um, and how we can address these challenges together about it yeah it's, it's a good question it's, and we we are at a particular point in time where we face uh, a combination of issues i mean picking up uh, on the earlier point about uh, the demographics I mean, within the energy and utility sector, uh, which employs, uh, broadly speaking, half a million people, around about half of those uh, are the baby boomer generation that will retire in the next 10 years. So we have an immediate need to replace a significant number of, of the workforce. And of course, the point's right about uh, you know, the, the importance of apprenticeships uh, and the more technical, uh, as opposed to academic pathways into the sector. And of course, as we've heard, it's really important to train the trainers. You know, there's a lot of emphasis now, quite rightly, being placed on industry uh, and work experience as part of these new qualifications and apprenticeships. And of course, apprenticeships are, for the most part, done in the workplace. Uh, and you, of course, need to train the trainers to enable that. So for me, you know, the imperative uh, in meeting the government's green ambitions is to work really hard and really quickly to train the trainers and to upskill and reskill the existing workforce, because only then can you pass the baton 
on to the next generation or carry that across the line in 2050. So I think for me, the first thing to think of in skilling is to upskill and reskill the existing workforce. And what I would say on that is that I think we can do that. We're already working within the sector to identify those technologies. We've heard about ground source heat pumps and, of course, air source heat pumps, electric vehicle charging points, hydrogen boilers, to name but a few. You know, we're working really hard with industry to identify the skills needs to transition the existing workforce to be able to deploy those technologies. For me, the trick will be to make sure that that learning translates into new apprenticeships uh, and new technical qualifications, and that needs to happen at pace. From, to my mind, uh, very often we see quite a slow progression from an identification of a skills need into the delivery of an apprenticeship, and I think we need to get much more agile Liz, you're nodding along at many parts of that. The one that sort of caught my eye, first of all, was the upskilling of of the current workforce. And of course, you work for a charity that helps people of all ages to reach their potential. So I imagine this is something that you you fundamentally agree with. Absolutely. But um, I think as we've been sort of pointing out, it's kind of getting getting that message across. And, you know, one of the, I think I mentioned earlier, we, we work quite a lot with the sort of trades and construction sectors. And that's a very busy sector right now. Um, you know, the, the sort of waiting list, if you, if you, for example, you know, kind of wanted any work done in your house, you probably already noticed that it's there's a there's a huge kind of uh, waiting list. Um, and so there, we, we're speaking to them about things like, you know, kind of um, upskilling electric vehicles, you know, you know, electricians who are sort of, you know, going out and potentially you know, good learning new skills. Um, and, you know, they're doing that, but they're also running a business at the, at, at the same time. And, you know, what, one of the one of the issues within the sort of trade and construction sector at the moment is that something ridiculous, like around 60% of it is is done by small to medium businesses that are run, you know, with, with naught to nine employees. And so adding training to a list of, things to do um you know kind of kind of just makes life much more complicated but one of the things that i was actually um sort of thinking about when when phil was speaking and and sort of you know in in, in sort of how we're going to do that how we're going to upskill how we're going to encourage people to upskill in order to pass that on um you know this year as we all know um it, it you know the uk gets the presidency of, of cop 26 um, and we will have that for a year. So I think, you know, what, what we need to be doing now is to to really kind of um, use that opportunity, not only to influence other countries, um, which is, you know, uh, what we've heard about Alok Sharma doing quite a lot of uh, recently, but actually talk to our own workforce, talk to our own um, people in, in, in the UK, you know, in, in, about this and, and get that support behind all of these things, because it is going to take, an enormous, you know, kind of effort. Uh, but there are also opportunities as well. So, you know, and, and I think that those opportunities need to be brought out too, you know, so that people who are, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, they've got a growing business, but actually do they want to take on new trainees? Do they want to upskill? Do they want to change, the, you know, some of the, the things that they do so that they can, you know, add a renewable element to that? 
you know, I, I think that we, we, we just need to take this opportunity now that, we, that we've got it and, and just, you know, make everybody aware of the opportunities as well as, you know, the whole kind of climate change issue. Mm. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I did want to ask about the opportunity. So, Phil, you know, I, I, I'm conscious that we've been a bit gloomy in certain areas here uh, in this podcast. But, you know, let, let's focus because in reality, this does present, particularly the green targets, does present a huge opportunity for, for companies, for young people who want to learn a trade. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, speaking you know, as I would for the sector that, I, that I, I'm involved in, you know, energy utilities and the whole net zero and climate emergency agenda means that there are fantastic jobs uh, within the sector and there'll be fantastic jobs and fantastic careers for many years to come. I mean, if you think, as I say, of, of the challenges around the climate emergency, you know, I, there are some brilliant opportunities for young people that really care about the climate and, and net zero to be directly involved in being part of the solution, you know, whether you're within a water company, a power company, gas or waste and recycling, each and every one of those and their supply chains will be absolutely involved, uh, not indirectly, but directly uh, involved in helping meet that uh, climate emergency and that uh, challenge around uh, net zero. So a fantastic opportunity is there. And as I say, it's a sector where the demographics uh, mean that there'll be a huge number of um, roles that will be available in the next decade. And these will be, I think, supplemented by a range of new and really interesting green areas as we start to think about you know, the new technologies and how we use really interesting things like artificial intelligence and data and big data to solve some of these really big problems. So I would say, you know, there, there is some gloom around uh, the economy, perhaps, but certainly not in, in the sector that I'm involved in. It feels a really positive and bright future. I want to ask you, Phil, because Liz mentioned about smaller businesses. How do these targets really impact all of those smaller trade businesses? Are there enough incentives to help them jump on board and work towards meeting them? Do you think? I can only speak for the parts of the sector that I see. And, and clearly for um, uh, some parts of the sector, there are relatively large companies and fewer uh, smaller enterprises. But you know, I was quite struck by you know, the, the thinking around, um, let's say, the technology required to change uh, our way of thinking about driving, for example. So you know, it's not unreasonable to think that in 20 years' time, most, if not uh, the significant majority of homes will have an electric vehicle charge point, uh, as will uh, many areas uh, in the country that are in the sort of public domain. So a huge number uh, of electric vehicle charge points, they won't all be fitted by large employers. I would imagine that this will require uh, almost a national effort of small organisations, small enterprises delivering that requirement. So for me, looking at that, that, that presents a really interesting opportunity, a really interesting skills challenge, because, of course, what you need is to have a system where you can upskill uh, employ, employers, uh, and very, employers of very small numbers of people or, um, and potentially uh, self-employed people, uh, and have that so that they can engage with that upskilling without impacting significantly on their business, because, of course, they've got a business to run. So what that talks to is micro-credentialing, the ability to train someone quickly for a specific role but to a national standard to make sure that this is safely conducted wherever and whenever they conduct that work. So for me, big opportunities around emerging technology, the challenge will be to make sure that it is agile enough and uh, short uh, duration enough to enable people to engage with that 
and that there's a national infrastructure around it to make sure that those schools are consistent, coherent and safe. Phil's right, you know, it is going to be the small businesses that are going to be fitting those electric vehicle charging points and they are the ones who are going to be installing your renewable energy boiler you know whether it's a you know heat pump or you know hydrogen or you know whatever it is um and and, you know the reality is that you know just as phil says you know that there needs to be a sort of coordination between those those shorter courses so if you're already an electrician you know you can go on a short course to um to learn how to install um you know electric vehicle charging points but if you're not an electrician, <laughs> you, you need to be, uh, you know, go through an apprenticeship and you need to do that now. You know, that, that's the challenge, isn't it? It, it? It's, it's you know, those people have got to have that certain level of, you know, kind of competence before you can bolt on those extra green elements. Liz, I want to ask you about the Green Jobs Task Force. The government just released a report. Can you tell us a little bit more about what was in there and what you made of that report? Yeah, so so th- this was a sort of uh, was actually chaired by uh, Gillian Keegan, who is the uh, minister for apprenticeship. So uh, it w- it was a a kind of cross industry, academia, sort of trade unions, um, you know, kind of uh, board that were brought together to think about all the things we've been talking about. You know, the the, the net zero, um, you know, kind of targets, uh, the kind of jobs that we're going to need to you know, create um, and the kind of training we're going to need to um, to get those jobs off the ground and, and sort of bringing that together with other government sort of, you know, initiatives like, the, you know, the, the sort of green recovery, the green industrial revolution and, you know, mixing that up with levelling up and everything else so that, you know, you, you, that potentially you're quite use, using this sort of opportunity quite efficiently. A number of the sort of I guess the the recommendations have been things like a green careers launch pad um, and, you know, kind of identifying gaps um, in in terms of what what we've got at the moment. So, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, stitching together uh, initiatives in order to sort of, you know, get to where we need to be, really. So, I mean, it's very interesting and it does sort of highlight a number of areas where we need to um, put some, some big work in probably a lot of the areas we've already talked about. It does seem, Phil, that plans are afoot. We spoke about the opportunities. I guess the final piece of the puzzle, it goes back to the start of the podcast when Liz was talking about, and you as well, we're talking about behavioural change, that change in perceptions. In your role at Ofqual, the Office of Qualifications and Examinations Regulation, just to be clear, did you see firsthand a change in perception towards apprenticeships? Because I feel while it may still not be where we want it to be, it is shifting, isn't it? I really think it is. Um, certainly from my perspective, uh, working within the regulator, there was a, a definite rebalancing between the traditional views that uh, academic uh, qualifications had somehow you know, represented the gold standard and vocational qualifications were somehow a bit different. Uh, standard. I think I think we've we've moved way beyond that now. Certainly, in my time within Ofqual, heading up the vocational and technical side of the organisation within which sat apprenticeships, we saw a fourfold increase in the number of uh, people working in that part of Ofqual, particularly because it wanted to make sure that it was um, absolutely making sure that the quality of that provision in apprenticeships and vocational technical qualifications was every bit as good as 
uh, A-levels and GCSEs. And my, and my view would be that it's come a, a long way. And, and there's certainly a sense that that's the case. I think it's really heartening uh, to see government ambitions around apprenticeships and T-levels. I think the introduction of the Institute for Apprenticeships to give employers a voice and a real focus on, on apprenticeships and now those vocational and technical qualifications and the work that they're doing to really secure employer voice in these qualifications really lends weight to the fact that these, these aren't sh- and shouldn't be just compared to academic equivalents, but should be viewed as a real high quality pathway into a fantastic job or career. And I think that's the way to view these apprenticeships and qualifications is that they have a a distinct purpose uh, and we're all working with the same aim, which is to make sure that they meet that purpose. Finally to you both then, you know, we need to turn opportunities into reality. So what can we do to foster an environment where apprentices can play a really big role in this? Liz? I I mean, one of the things that I... um... I think would be would be really great would be some sort of um I guess investment from government in terms of you know marketing the opportunity years ago uh, the government did this fantastic initiative um around um entrepreneurs um called business is great and it looked at businesses how successful they were they they sort of brought it to life with a series of you know really good sort of case studies and I feel like almost we're at that situation with apprenticeships now um, where, we, you know, we should be, you know, just showcasing great work and, you know, bringing home, you know, the advantages both to employers, um, you know, and, and, and we were talking earlier about, you know, that opportunity that the, the great green, green recovery uh, could bring, you know, and, you know, help them to understand that investing in, uh, apprenticeships now is 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 a really good idea because they'll they'll, they'll be able to grow their business as well um, but also to young people who are you know considering their next steps do they want to go to university you know do they want to you know kind of go go straight into employment uh, or do they want to get some skills that are going to help them in in the future when you know we have this sort of you know so-called green collared jobs where everybody i mean part part of what the the green skills um task force was work was was talking about was that every job in the future will have an element of green about it whether 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 people realize it or not it'll just become normal we won't even be talking about green it will just be a job you know it won't be anything special so um you know i i feel like you know we we, we just need to to sort of recognize that and, and potentially invest in you know that that sort of almost um you know, it, it, i guess it, on one level it is a kind of cultural change to to get people to sort of rethink again um you know w- what they want to do whether they want to sort of start to earn, earn straight away get skills that, that will take them you know on to the next level i i feel like that's that's the kind of thing that we need to see. Um, a very specific thing, I think, for me, um, just looking at apprenticeships uh, specifically, uh, we've just done a survey uh, across the sector involving uh, over 20 of some of the bigger organisations uh, and we reflect the fact that the apprenticeship levy is obviously uh, paid by uh, our sector, but we're drawing down only around about a half of that in terms of investing uh, in apprenticeships uh, and, and we'd like to do more as a sector I think so really um, just thinking about this in the broader context we'd really like to think about how we might introduce some flexibility 
in the apprenticeship levy to try and increase the diversity and inclusion uh, of the sector. It's something that we talk about a lot in the sector. And we think there are some really interesting opportunities there. And we think there's also the opportunity to think uh, a bit more flexibly about how we use the apprenticeship levy to tackle some of those emerging needs. So we've talked about apprenticeships being relatively slow uh, to keep pace with rapidly emerging technology. And we think that allowing use of apprenticeship levy to fund some of the bolt-on training that employers really need would really add agility to the system. So what we would say is the apprenticeship levy and the apprenticeship system itself seems to be working well, but we really welcome some form of flexibility around the apprenticeship levy to do something innovative about diversity and inclusion to increase the attraction of the sector at the start of that process and then to really tackle some of the emerging green needs at the end by funding some training where we see emerging technical requirements uh, breaking. Phil Beach from Energy and Utility Skills and Liz Slee from the Enterprise Trust, thank you so much. And thank you too for listening to this episode of All About Apprenticeships. If you want to get in touch to have your say on anything we've been talking about today, you can find the HomeSurf Foundation on Twitter at HSV underscore foundation. Just use the hashtag All About Apprenticeships. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a rating and hit subscribe. It helps other people find us.